This is Truth, Justice, and Hope, the podcast that explores the modern era of Superman comics from a humanist perspective and examines real life through the lens of a Superman fan. I'm Grant Richter, and this is episode 32. Truth and justice, my friends, and welcome back to the show. This episode, we are going to be talking about World's Finest Batman Superman number four. So it will be a little bit of a shorter episode. I apologize about that. Also, as I'm recording, I can hear the lawn maintenance crew from my neighborhood working somewhere in the background. And hopefully won't cut into the audio too bad. I'm hoping that they're far enough away that the uh, that it won't get picked up at all. But like I've said before, I record this section of the podcast last. So I've already recorded my discussion of World's Finest Number 4 as I'm recording this. And it was an awesome issue. And it was so much fun to talk about. And I'm really looking for you guys, looking forward to you guys hearing it. But first, well, first I'm going to have a cup of coffee. Not a whole cup of coffee. I'm going to have a sip of coffee because I like coffee. I like my coffee black with one sugar in my Superman mug. But after that, I have some thoughts from here at the Fortress of Solitude. Now, recently, I have begun listening to the 1940s Superman radio show, which is really fun. And... Uh, I'm doing this in preparation for an upcoming recording on another uh, show, which I don't want to talk about yet because I don't want to jinx it just in case something goes wrong and we're not able to record. But as it gets closer and the and once we've recorded and, and it gets closer to the release date for that for that episode of that show, I'll talk more about it. But I'm addicted to the 1940s radio show. It's a lot of fun. And as I got talking about it on Twitter... I got a lot of recommendations for people saying, well, if you like that, you really ought to start reading Golden Age Superman. And for those of you that have listened to this show for a while, and those of you you that followed me on Twitter for a while, might remember that up until recently, I have not had a whole lot of use for pre-crisis Superman. Now, a lot of that has to do with what forays into pre-crisis that I've tried have been part of the Bronze Age and I don't love Bronze Age Superman's characterization uh, in his solo series Um, but I as I've started reading this I have really started enjoying the Golden Age stuff it's a lot of fun I'm up to like issue 17 I think of Action Comics and I've also been digging into the Silver Age. And I tried to like Superman's solo adventures in the Silver Age. I just can't with it because they're so silly. And I, they, I know they're written for little kids. 
and it really comes across that way and maybe if I'd read these as a little kid I probably would have liked them and uh, I've talked about before about how my best friend in uh, middle school and junior high was was a bigger comic book fan than me like he had uh, he had inherited, I think, just a ton of Silver and Bronze Age comics. And so we had a whole lot of, uh, like, early Avengers and old Brave and the Bold and old Wonder Womans. And, um, and he had this poster on his wall that was really a puzzle that his, once they completed it, they, like, glued it together or something and framed it. And it became this image of, like, every action comics cover that came out in the silver age and i remember looking at them when i was 10 and thinking they were kind of neat <laughs> I, I just can't though with the solo supermans of the silver age i am enjoying justice league though they're they're goofy like in terms of plot and stuff they're very simplistic but they're not intentionally like little kids silly like the like the solo Superman books are, and it's like oh Superman's head turned into a giant ant, oh wackiness, you know it's I just can't. But I am enjoying the Silver Age, um, Justice League, and I'm enjoying Silver Age Legion of Superheroes, and I'm almost to the 1970s, so I'm almost through the 60s. I've really skimmed my way through the Silver Age, and I'm on to the Bronze Age, which I'm actually really looking forward to. I want to read. Bronze Age Justice League, and I want especially to read Bronze Age Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes. So uh, my listening to the radio program was a gateway to that. Oh, and I, and I also, a um, little side note, uh, on Prime Day recently, I ordered myself the first omnibus of the 1930s and 40s Superman daily comic strips, and it is a massive beast. I tweeted out the size of it. It's like, it's the thickness of a dictionary. It's huge. And the art on it is really, really tight. Uh, it's, I, you know, I really appreciate Joe Schuster for what he did in the golden age, but, um, I think this was Wayne Boring who worked on this and it's really, really good. You know, it doesn't have the ultra humanite in it. And I love me some ultra humanite. But the art is is really tight, and the stories are a lot of fun. But anyway, uh, my my point being that that is one benefit I've had from starting the Superman, listening to the Superman radio shows. It was my gateway into Silver and Golden Age Superman comics. Now, there's been another benefit of this, which I wasn't expecting, and it kind of came up organically. Um, it gave me something to talk to my grandfather about that he could relate to. Now, I am 48 years old, so you may be surprised to learn that my paternal, um, sorry, my maternal grandfather is still alive. My paternal grandfather died when I was like three years old, so I really have no memories of him. My family doesn't talk about him very much, which makes me suspicious, but, um, I'm, I was very, very close to my maternal, my maternal grandfather when I was a little kid. I've talked a lot about going to stay with my grandma and my grandpa in the suburbs of Columbus, Ohio when I was a little kid. That is the grandpa that I'm talking about. Um, he's the one that really, um, I would, 
I would say he's the one who actually got me hooked on superheroes because my my one of my earliest memories is of when I was four watching the Super Friends with my dad on Saturday mornings. But I know that by the time I had already turned four, I had a Spider-Man big wheel. And I had that because I liked watching the uh, 1960s Spider-Man cartoon with my grandpa in his house. So that would have had to have been when I was three. And that was my gateway into superheroes. And um, he, like I've said before, whenever I would go stay with them for at least a weekend, he would either take me to the toy store, which was called Children's Palace, which was kind of a, a competitor of Toys R Us, which is sadly out of business now, um, or a KB in the mall, or he would take me either to the Walden Books in the mall or the uh, convenience store up the road from his house and get me about four or five comics at a time, which is great. And that really was my transition from liking superheroes to being a comic book fan. And that was also my gateway into kind of understanding the larger world of superheroes beyond the this 1978 Superman movie, the Super Friends, and the handful of live-action superhero shows that were out in the late 70s. And so I really appreciated that a lot from him. And, you know, my grandpa and me were really, really close when I was a kid. And as I got older and our ideological differences became more pronounced, we became less close. And then he had a, um, he had an incident about seven or eight years ago, which drove, drove a wedge between us. But I made an effort to get back in touch with him a couple years ago. And I go out of my way to call him every week. Um, also because, you know, not just because I want to keep in touch with him, but because he doesn't have any other family around. He is now in Georgia. I'm in Florida. My, my mom, his daughter, passed away uh, last year. And my dad lives in Ohio now. Um, and you know, like I said, his wife passed away uh, a few years ago too. And all his sisters and brothers are either in Florida or in Illinois or something. So he doesn't really have anybody. So I make an effort to to give him a call and see how he's doing and make sure he's okay and walk him through how to set up his cable and his internet and all these other things that the elderly sometimes are not are not great at. But when I called him the other day. Just out of nowhere, um, the idea, I remember he used to talk about listening to the radio a lot when he was a kid. So I asked him, I said, did you ever listen to the Superman radio show when you were younger? I said, how old were you in 1940? He's like, oh, 12 or 13. I said, well, did you listen to Superman? He's like, oh, yeah, every day, every afternoon. It was like 5 o'clock in the afternoon. I would listen to the Superman radio show. And we got to talk about that for, I don't know, a good 20 minutes. And then he just kind of went on about all the different radio shows that he would listen to and and then that transitioned into just how he enjoyed life as a as a young person and it was really neat and it was a just a nice way to kind of reconnect in that in that superhero way that I had with my grandpa when I was younger which was really cool and if I hadn't started listening to the Superman radio show a few weeks ago I might not have had that moment so I'm I'm very grateful for it. But that is all the thoughts I have for this episode or 
thoughts of that nature that I have for this episode. So let's go ahead and go talk about some comics. And again, the one comic that we're going to be discussing for this kind of sort of mini episode is Batman Superman World's Finest number four. Let me see if I can find the credits here. Here we go. Mark Wade is the writer. Dan Mora is the artist. Tamra Bonvillain does the colors. And Aditya... I'm sorry. Let me zoom in. My I have old people eyes. Bidikar does the letters. Um, there's also a variant cover by... It says Rosmo and Ivan Plaskenia. I do not have that cover. I have the main cover by Mora. And it is uh, Batman and Superman um, looking out at the reader, ready to fight. And behind them is a large image of Hal Jordan uh, with his ring lighting up green, pointing it at the reader, making a fighting face. And there's some cool kind of mostly green but kind of rainbow energy spilling out from behind him. And it's a pretty cool cover. So, in this series so far, this takes place sometime in the undefined past. And in it, there is a immortal villain called the Devil Neha, which is this guy from ancient China, and he has obtained magical powers over the years, and he's recently escaped from a magical prison, and he has been... Uh, supplying villains with the means to take out superheroes. And then he's also been working on mind-controlling various superheroes. And in the last issue of this series, we saw where he's taking control of Hal Jordan. And we open up with Hal um, doing a maniacal grin and lighting up his ring saying, I always knew I could take you to. And he puts Batman and Superman in a green energy cage. And uh, Hal is saying, Green Lantern versus the Batman-Superman team, all thanks to Master Neza. I realize I said Neza is wrong the first time I said Neha. It is Neza. And then he sends a giant green energy buzzsaw flying at them. And Batman and Superman dodge it, although a bit of it does slice a little bit into Superman's uh, leg and it sends him flying and we see Clark picking himself up out of some rubble where he's crashed into a building and he has red energy crackling out of his eyes and a little bit of blood running down his arm and he's coughing slightly and uh, he shoots a heat vision beam at Hal who blocks it with his ring and again, interestingly, the green energy is kind of rainbow tinted. It's not just pure green. And he's saying, oh, Cal, that all you got. And Batman is thinking out loud. I don't understand. Lantern ring is primarily about energy constructs. The only way it could be affecting Superman this easily is if it were augmented by magic. And then as he says that, Neza appears behind Batman. And Neza's face looks it reminds me and i know we're dealing with a with a character that's supposed to be from ancient china but his face looks like kind of those monstery masks that a lot of ancient samurai armor used to have 
and he's got red skin and he's got these two big horns and this monstrous face and he's very muscular he kind of looks a little bit like trigon honestly and uh um Nezai has this flaming sword that he's holding up to batman's neck and saying the batman a creature of paper flesh and reedy bone who are you to stand among the gods and uh uh, Batman says, what do you want? And Nazar says, everything. And we see where Superman is fighting Hal, and Hal has created a very um, uh, Kyle Rayner-looking construct around himself that looks like a high-tech suit of battle armor, something I would much more associate with Rayner than I would with Jordan. And we go back to where... Uh, Neza has Batman holding him by the throat and just has him pressed up against the wall of a building. And Neza saying, For nearly 4,000 years, entombed by magic, I was denied a world that was rightfully mine. Thus would magic be the key to my release. But I knew no, no spell that could free me. So I was forced to create one, rune by rune, syllable by syllable, over three millennia, driven solely by the nightmare of a world bereft of my guidance, I persevered. And we see a flash, <coughs> excuse me, uh, doing monster voice takes a lot out of my throat. Excuse me one second again. <coughs> there we go. I do not have my coffee with me this time. I am ill prepared. And we see Neza is in this featureless black room and he is written runes and sigils all over the walls for thousands of years and finally he's able to make a crack in the wall he makes a door open in the wall and he says when i emerged i was prepared for opposition instead i was nauseated by how little civilization had advanced a world pitifully divided human against nature humans against humans a world in need of discipline so with the power of possession, I begin seizing implements of change. And we see uh, uh, Hal Jordan making some kind of energy staff, smacking Superman hard across the face with it. And then we see a bunch of random people standing with their eyes completely blank, looking slightly up with uh, Nazos symbol, a pair of devil horns uh, kind of overlapping their face and heads. So he is mass-possessing people. And Nazar saying, you ask what I desire? Soon, every kingdom on the planet will be mine to control. All humanity will be my indomitable army. And Batman is being choked out, saying, to fight whom? Who else is there? Unless there is some enemy beyond, isn't there? One that worries you. That's why you've been rushing to take all the powered heroes off the board. You're afraid they're going to beat you as roundly as the Warriors of G did. And the Warriors of G, that's J-I, are these, these mystical kind of four elements empowered warriors that uh, imprisoned Nazar thousands of years ago. So Nazar goes, insect, and tosses Batman over his shoulder. And we see where Hal has created this giant executioner's axe. And he's standing over Superman where Superman's been knocked to the ground. And Hal saying... Uh, you know me to be an honest man, Cal, so believe me when I say I'm done with you. But then Batman, who has grabbed Dr. Alchemy's Philosopher's Stone, jumps in and creates a wall of chromium, of yellow chromium, to block um, Hal Jordan's energy. 
and uh, he's saying, I miss the days when we could just knock him out with a yellow brick. So, again, we've acknowledged that this is sometime in the past. We don't know when, but it would be have to be after the events of Green Lantern Rebirth from 2004, the, the miniseries that Jeff Johns wrote that a, uh, the, the comics gator-in-chief drew. Uh, so I won't, I won't bespoil my podcast with his name, where... Um, Hal Jordan is brought back to life. He's freed of parallax, and we learn that the weakness to yellow was a result of parallax partly being imprisoned in the in the in the lantern battery, and partly of uh, Green Lanterns not acknowledging their fear and overcoming it. So this would have to be after that. So that's a, that's interesting that this is still hinted as being in continuity because after Flashpoint, I'm not really sure how much of DC continuity still exists outside of the Superman mythos. And so they're huddling behind this green, this yellow energy barrier that Batman's created and it's starting to crumble. And Batman is saying, we don't, uh, we don't have a minute, Clark. Supergirl and Robin aren't back from the past yet and the stone is starting to crack from the pressure. If we don't think of something, we're finished. And so, with Robin and Supergirl mentioned, we go back to the past. Now, as I said, this would have to be after the events of Hal Jordan Rebirth, yet uh, Dick Grayson is still Robin at this point. So we can tell that (laughs) even though events prior to Flashpoint still exist, they are jumbly jumbled up. Time is a a soup. (laughs) (laughs) That has been stirred frequently. And uh, Supergirl is talking to the Warriors of G in 1579 BCE China. And they are explaining to her how the only way... See, there are currently four members of the Warriors of G. There used to be five. And the only way they were able to trap Neza in this magical prison is if one of them sealed the prison from the inside and sacrificed himself. And we don't know who that person was. Their name was was Ziron, Z-I with a a accent mark, R-A with an accent mark, N. And they said that Ziron was the bravest of them all. Uh, That person has a memorial marker that has a green... um, Asian-style dragon on it with a little flame burning above. So maybe my guess, because we we saw the last issue where one of them can control water and one of them control earth and one of them control fire and one of them has kind of gravity powers. That's they, they kind of like Starboy from Legion of Superheroes where they can increase gravity and that's associated with the earth. And I'm guessing maybe this fifth person was, you know, dragon energy or celestial energy or something. Um, so that's kind of neat. And so uh, Robin and Supergirl have the information they need. It's not what they want to hear, but it's still the information they need. And so they head back to the present. Now, <laughs> another um, element that is shows how jumbled up time has come, has become since Flashpoint is 
Again, this is Kara Zor-El. Um, dur during the mid during the two thousands, at the time that, um, uh, what you call it, uh, Green, Green Lantern Rebirth came about. That was my least favorite version of Supergirl. It's the one that went ran around in a belly shirt the whole time. The one that was supposed to be maybe fifteen or sixteen but was the object of unbridled lust by pretty much every male supervillain out there, which is super gross. This is not her. This is a, an extremely rad Supergirl who looks like she's maybe in her later teens or very early 20s, and she has a really cool costume. Um, it's somewhat reminiscent of the costume that... John Kent wears a Superman in current continuity where it has the, the red that comes down over the shoulders that's separate from the cape. Um, and then, you know, she has a really wide golden belt. Um, her S is very stylized. Um, unfortunately, she has the red mini skirt, but, you know, I, it's okay. I can live with that. But I like the fact that they showed that she has kind of like biker shorts or bicycler shorts and under her skirt in one of the previous issues, which is nice. Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, remember that between Crisis on Infinite Earths and Infinite Crisis, things, uh, continuity as far as the House of L was concerned, had largely rejected a lot of pre-crisis elements, like how powerful Superman was back then. And remember that pre-crisis Superboy could break the time barrier all on his own just by flying really fast to go back and forth to the 30th or 31st century. And so, um, you know, before Infinite Crisis, that was not a thing. Um, I don't think all of those elements returned after Infinite Crisis. I know a lot of some of them did, like hey, look, there's more Kryptonians, and here's the real General Zod, and here's Argo City and all that cool stuff that, you know, came about with Last Sun and, and the world of New Krypton and all that. But here we see that Supergirl can, in fact, fly fast enough to break the time barrier on its own. It's funny that when Superman and Batman are carrying, I'm sorry, Superman or Supergirl are carrying either Batman or Robin respectively, no matter how fast they're flying, the person they're carrying is still vertical like they're holding them under the armpits <laughs> you figure if they're flying like really fast the person that they're carrying would be also kind of horizontal <laughs> but I, I think that's intentional on Moore's part I think it's just funny and I think it's intentionally funny and even though Supergirl is flying fast enough to break the sound barrier it looks like Robin just kind of hanging there by his armpits which is just hilarious um and they're debating which one of them has to break the bad news to Superman and Batman that someone has to sacrifice themselves to stop Neza. But as they're saying this, there is a time storm and uh, Robin is broken free from Supergirl's grip. And he goes tumbling through the time stream, which is not great. And Supergirl's saying, uh, travelers encounter these sometimes, some random idiot trying to change history or steal from the past or whatever, creating turbulence in the time stream. And that's where we see Robin go falling through time. Now, back in the present moment, um, Batman and Superman are still struggling against Hal. Hal is pouring all of his willpower into the ring and he's shooting this, this 
massive outpouring of green energy toward them, and Hal has this maniacal smile on his face. But Batman is saying willpower. That's what controls Lantern's ring, even from a short distance. His willpower, the strongest on Earth. Um, and then Superman says, how much do you think it's compromised in a consciousness under someone else's control? And Batman says, exactly. Still more powerful than yours or mine, but maybe not yours and mine. And they concentrate together. And we see them as they're sh just barely shielding themselves from this barrage. It's this onslaught of green energy. And Batman's saying, concentrate, focus on the ring with all your might. Draw it off his finger, will it here, keep pushing one thought between us. And they do so, and the ring is pulled off of Hal's finger, and it flies towards Batman and Superman. And when it connects, it creates one of the coolest things that has ever graced the internet in a long time, where we get the new composite Batman-Superman. And let me explain this to you. This is so cool. I know you guys have seen this on Twitter by now, but I'm going to post it anyway. It'll probably actually be the the cover image for this episode. So we have a dude, and he has got black pants. He's not wearing a full belt, but it's kind of 90s-esque pouches on his waist level. And then he has a blue shirt with a Superman-shaped symbol on his chest. It's red and yellow. It's got the red outline. It's got the yellow interior. And then the middle of it is a combination S and Batman symbol. It's like the the outer, the, the, the wing on the viewer's left swoops up to make the upper arc of the S, and the wing on the viewer's right swoops down to make the lower arc of the, of the S. And then this figure has... Uh, red shoulder type pads and then a red Batman mask only it covers his entire face and uh, so you know kind of Spider-Man right you know or, or Deadpool or whatever Black Panther covers the whole face all you see is his eye slits they're opaque and then the, it has the uh, kind of Batman wrist spiky things and then the hands are glowing green so it's not wearing or they are not wearing a Green Lantern ring. They are infused with Green Lantern energy. And it is awesome. Now, as awesome as our new composite Batman, Superman, Green Lantern character is, they are going to have their hands full because they are up against a, a one, two, three, four, five, six sextet of, of brainwashed superheroes we have. Wally West is Kid Flash. Donna Troy is Wonder Girl. Uh, a version of Firestorm that I would assume contains Ronnie Raymond. Uh, we have Red Tornado. Uh, Martian Manhunter in his classic look that he had from the Silver Age up until the late mid-2000s in Black Canary. And again, time is a jumble. Because, in again, with this story having to take place sometime, at least in the mid-2000s, while he had been The Flash for about 20 years since then, Donna Troy hadn't been Wonder Girl since the late 80s, and Ronnie Raymond would have just died in Identity Crisis. So, lots of, lots of wishy-washy, wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. And so... 
composite Batman Superman squares off and it's cool that you have an internal dialogue that they're sharing with each other. You have Batman's internal dialogue in blue and no, Superman's internal dialogue in blue and Batman's in gray. And Superman is thinking, what happened? Ambient magic? Thinking as one? Some of both? And Batman's thinking, focus, Firestorm, Red Tornado, and Wonder Girl coming in from the left. John Jones, Kid Flash, and Black Canary from the right. Strategy? And Batman says, use your imagination. And so they hurl batarangs made of green energy at Firestorm and Red Tornado, and the batarangs explode. Uh, Martian Manhunter fires an energy beam that they block with their left arm. Meanwhile, we see Devil Neza um, kind of hovering above the crowd saying, Rejoice, the Devil Neza blesses you this day, blesses you with the honor of servitude. Neza gives your meaning, meaningless life's purpose, unity. And we see that he's created an army of soldiers wearing traditional ancient Chinese warrior garb. Uh, we see our composite heroes blasting um, Martian Manhunter with green I-beams. And uh, Black Canary jumps in and she uses the Canary cry on her. Meanwhile, the Doom Patrol, who's been assisting Batman and Superman with research and and kind of scouting missions, they radio in and said, we found Nezos tomb, a little island near Cordo Maltese. I'm sending coordinates now. Chief thinks that if Chief thinks that if it held him before, maybe it can do again. How fast can you get him here? And um, Batman is thinking as fast as possible. Lantern energy is working miracles. And Superman thinks, but it's finite. And we see where they create green boots on Wally's feet that are holding in place. They create a green kind of Hannibal Lecter looking muzzle on Black Canary to keep her canary cry in check. But when Firestorm punches them, we see a little thing that says Lantern Fusion power levels at 9%. And Neza is still talking to his mind-controlled crowd, which now looks like it takes up most of the city. He's saying, you are Legion. You are mine. You are a beginning. And as our composite heroes fight Wonder Girl and then Neza himself, we see power levels at 8%. He grabs Neza and pulls him up into outer space. Power levels at 6%, 5%, 4%. And Batman and Superman are punching Neza over and over, over and over, thinking in their shared voices, almost there. If we lose momentum, we're dead. Faster, one last punch, one power set, power at 1%, and then it cancels out and they are separated. And we see that they are up not they're not in space anymore but they're high 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 over a mountain range that is glowing pink and purple in the in the sunrise and Neza is holding each of them by the throat and he's saying to think i was actually concerned for a moment this is what i get for relying too much upon others i should have come to you directly from the start die and but before he can do whatever he was going to do, Supergirl comes out of nowhere and punches him hard and sends him flying down into the ice. And she says, Shui and her friends say hi, talking about the warriors of G. And um, we, we see that they are plummeting toward 
where the Doom Patrol is, presumably that island off of Cordo Maltese, and uh, what's his name, Negative Man, is saying, coming in hot, Doom Patrol, scramble, and they slam hard into the top of this massive rock outcropping on the island, and we see where Kara has knocked the, na the Devil Neza unconscious, and the Doom Patrol and Batman and Superman get there quickly, and Supergirl says, you two got him to the one-yard line. I just tipped him in. God, I couldn't take one more punch. He'll recover quickly. We don't have much time, so listen. And Batman's saying, wait, where's Robin? And Supergirl cuts in and says, I said, listen to me. And she says, the Warriors of G confirmed that, that the tomb alone can barely hold Nazar, that the door can be permanent shut by one of us. The tomb can be sealed, but only from the inside. And we see... Elastigirl, Negative Man, Robot Man, Batman, and Superman all looking at her in shock and horror. And we see that up next in the next issue is The Sacrifice. So this was so cool. I love this series so much. I hope it keeps going past six issues. I hope it's not a mini series. I suspect that it probably is going to be. I'm hoping that it can be will keep going as a series that is just somewhere tangential to continuity, kind of like Superman up in the sky, where it can fit really anywhere into the continuity, as long as you don't worry too hard about the timeline. Mora's art on this is great. I sent out a tweet the other day um, talking about how I would love for uh, Grant Morrison to write a miniseries that is his take on the Silver Age Legion of Superheroes because I've been reading a lot of Silver Age Legion of Superheroes trying to get, get caught up. I'm trying to read pretty much the whole run up through its beginning in the mid-50s up until the late 80s, which is probably where I'm going to jump ship again like I did back in the old days. And I had someone uh, jump in and comment on my tweet saying, yes, that would be great. And especially if Dan Mora did the art. And I cannot agree more. Dan Mora's art is wonderful. The, uh, he is quickly in my top five Superman artists now. And uh, yeah, I cannot say enough good things about this series. That composite look is so cool. Uh, we will never see it again, I'm sure, after this. But it was such a treasure to have. Again, I love this design for Supergirl. I'm hoping that the next time... I know we've seen Supergirl again in Dark Crisis. I don't know if she's going by Superwoman now or not. I kind of hope she is. I don't think they use her title in that one. I think they just call her Kara. Where she is wearing the pants outfit that she wore at the last issue of Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow by Tom King and Bill Chris Ellery which is a really great suit. But this is a really cool look, too. I think it would just look better with pants. Um, Superman looks great. Batman looks great. All the all the supporting uh, superheroes that have been mind-controlled. Uh, Donna Troy as a Wonder, Wonder Girl looks great. Um, her arms are super buff, which, if you know, is something that I, I find admirable. And I also like the subtle redesign of her Wonder Girl costume where it's not, you know, uh, basically her boobs popping out of it. 
it's uh, cut higher up her chest and uh, where we have got a whole lot less male gaze going on there. And Wally as Kid Flash looks great. I like his hair in it. I like it, how it kind of hangs down over one eye. It's kind of 90s style. So I dig it a lot. But yeah, again, this is a fantastic issue. Um, I, I cannot say enough good things about it, but I have nothing else to say about it. So I'm going to go take the ad break for this episode, and then I'll be back to wrap everything up. And that does it for episode 32 of Truth, Justice, and Hope, a Superman podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. If so, uh, you can help the show out by giving me a five-star review wherever you listen to the show. It's on all the major platforms, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, um, Spotify, <laughs> Amazon, all Google, all the places. So, you know, please give me a five-star review. It helps boost this up in the algorithms for more people can so more people can find the show. Another way you can help the show out is by signing up and donating to the Patreon page. I put out a new audio episode uh, over there every week. And so at four uh, episodes a month, that is less than a dollar an episode by Grapthar's Hammer. What a savings. I've been doing a, a list of a chronological list of my favorite post-crisis Superman stories beginning with 1987's um, Pocket Universe Superboy Saga, and I'm currently up to 1990's Day of the Krypton Man. Originally, these would come out as one long episode that contained every issue of an arc. Now I put out uh, one episode a week with one comic book issue per episode. So you get a very frequent and constant stream of new content over on the Patreon, and it would be great if you could go check it out. I'm also on Twitter, at About Superman, where I tweet about Superman a lot. What I've been doing recently is during the daytime hours, I pick one of four eras, either the 90s, the 2000s, the New 52, or modern comics starting around 2018, and I do an issue-by-issue issue summary or just tweets or thoughts about what's going on in an issue. And then at night, I've been tweeting about Golden Age and Silver Age stories. So a, another place where you can find a constant stream of my Superman thoughts. Next episode, we are going to be jumping back into the Rebirth era. I'm going to be talking about Action Comics number 966 from October 26, 2016, and New Superman number 5 from November 9th, 2016, and I am looking forward to talking to you guys about that. But until then, as always, remember to fight fear at every turn with an open mind and an open heart. Love ya.